I mean, you just, I mean, you could sense it. Like there's stuff in all of our lives uh, that needed to get broken off this morning. Like when the Bible talks about like spirits, like in, in 1 John, I read that to you last week. We need to test the spirits. There's spirits that speak to us and we confuse them for the Holy Spirit. There are, there are other spirits that speak and move and manipulate in this world. And in the church, there's a spirit of religion that still resides today. And I, I could feel some of those chains being broken off in that moment. Man, like, like, yeah, like he's moving. Like he's moving and breaking stuff off from your lives and my life. Like that's what he's doing in those moments because I, I, I can look back on my life in the church, and, and as a kid, I can remember these worship services, and, and there was a weekly, there was a weekly solo spot like that in our church. Like I, I'm not condemning them or judging them, but there was like this weird like kind of thing that had gotten built up in our church where it was like you know one lady every week. It was like her turn for the solo, like you know, and there were some of them. It's like you know, they must have been given a lot of money in the offering plate or something because they shouldn't have been singing. Like, oh man, like, I, you know, that was, how, that was how I remember the church working in worship. And it wasn't, it wasn't worship, it was performance. That wasn't performance right there. Like, that, that's not performance. Like, I, I love you and I love your heart, Andrew, because when you come out here, man, you want to point people to him. That's what revival is all about. It's about pointing people to him. This isn't a performance. This isn't trying to look good. This isn't trying to have it all together because that's religion and that's a religious spirit and that's what we're breaking off of ourselves. That's what he's moving to break off from our own lives and then he's gonna use us as a church to help bring that freedom into other people's lives. There's a spirit of fear also that speaks to us. None of this is in my sermon. <laughs> this is just, man, he's, he's just been speaking some other stuff to me this week. Some of you are like, oh, see, I told you he wasn't going to finish 1 Corinthians this year. We'll get to it someday, all right? But there's a spirit of fear that speaks. And the spirit of fear is so deceiving. Because what the spirit of fear does is this spirit will mask itself. It, it will hide itself and appear as a spirit of wisdom. It, it, it will trick you into thinking, no, 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 this is the wise thing to do. And there are moments right now, man, there's, there's people in here right now, God has spoken to you to take a step of faith in your life. And, and there is a spirit of fear speaking to you saying, no, 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 don't do that. That's too dangerous. That's too risky. Don't take that step. And it is appearing to you as a spirit of wisdom. Discern the spirits. Test the spirits. Test the spirits against the word of the Lord. Every moment, every step that we've had to take as a church, there are moments where we have to test the spirits and make sure that we are listening and we are aligned with the Holy Spirit and what his word says. And so there's actually this moment coming up for our church where we don't really know what's going on and we would like to know what's going on and we would, in fact, as a church, like as a leader in the church, I would love to know, like if God would just give me like, hey, here's what's gonna happen next and then this and this and this and here's your 20-year you know, plan for you know, planting a church and starting a church and continuing a church. 
He hasn't given me that 20-step plan, okay? But he keeps showing me one step at a time, and he just lights it. Just, you know, here's a little bit of light. Go forward. Trust me with it. And that's all he's done as a church. And so for us as a church, we've got this moment of opportunity where this other church in Waterloo that's been struggling and trying to figure out what they're going to do, and they're down to about 10 or 12 people, and they have this building out there, and they just, they don't know what to do. And there's been a lot of hard times and trials, and they've kind of shared some of their story uh, with me and, and now even with some of the leadership in our church. And so they're trying to figure that out. And, and all I know is when I went out there and met with them, I didn't have this great plan or this great idea for them, but I said, you know what, you got a building. We don't have a building, but we got a lot of people, and I think they would love to come out and worship with you for a Sunday. And maybe that would just help bring some life into this area. Because guess what? Church, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Where we go, his presence goes. And so when we step into Waterloo next Sunday, like, I mean, it's going to expand his presence and take back territory for the kingdom of God when we step in. It's not about the building, but when we step into that building to worship, there are going to be people there that need to know that God is still moving and working and speaking today. And so we're going to step into Waterloo next week, and we're going by faith to take back territory for the kingdom of God. That's all we're doing. We don't know what he's going to want us to do after that. I, I don't think our, our, our call is to go to Waterloo, and that's where we're going to plant. But I think for one Sunday, we're supposed to go out there and help bring a moment where God shines and shows his presence to the people there in that community. And maybe that unlocks something. Maybe that releases some of those powers and principalities of darkness that have been at work in that area. Because when you start to hear some of the stories of what's been working against that church over the years, there is a lot of church hurt there. There's a lot of wounds. There's been some dark things that have happened to them. There's been evil at work in that area. And I believe just for one Sunday, God wants to go and he wants his people to show up and his presence is gonna be powerful. And it's gonna remind them to break off. Man, he, that's what he wants to do. He wants to break off the chains of the religious spirit and bring true freedom. And, and so that's all we're doing. We're going out there for one Sunday. I, I, I told these guys, you know, I, there's this nice little old lady out there. And when I went and met with them, you know, I said, maybe we'll just come out for one Sunday and worship with you guys if you want us to. And she was like, we would love that. You know, and she, you know, just this nice little old lady, been in the church her whole, you know, 40 years. Uh, at this same church. She's seen good times and she's seen bad. Uh, she's seen that church building full and full of life and things happening. And she's, you know, been there faithfully as it's been whittled down to these last 10 or 12 people. And, and I told her, you know, yeah, we'll come out there for one Sunday if you guys would like that and just do worship with you guys. And she, you know, this sweet little old lady, she was like, maybe you'll like us so much you'll just want to stay. You know, just this sweet little old lady. I said, I said, I said there's a different calling on the church of revival. Like, we weren't called to settle. Like, I, I know in the early days when we started, we were kind of looking for that place and that idea, of, like that mindset of like, we need to find a place to settle. And I believe God is going to give us a home base to work out of and move out of, but that's all it will ever be. I don't believe he's called us to be a church that just lands in one place and we settle down because revival is a movement of God that keeps on going wherever he calls and to whatever door he opens.
And so, I, like I said, I don't have that 20-step plan, but I know that's what he's called us to, to be a church that is on the move and walks by faith, even in the wilderness, even in the darkness when we don't see exactly where we're going. So for one Sunday, come and join us next week, 10 a.m., same time as usual. And man, let's just bring some life, like the love of God and what he wants to do. Let's bring it next Sunday. And let's pray all this week that there would be chains that are broken of that religious spirit that's been holding that area down, that there would be true freedom found, that people would experience for the first time the voice of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and that those powers and principalities that have been at work in that area, that they would be broken off in the name of Jesus. Amen? All right. That's, there you go. That's what we're doing next Sunday. We're going to water. It's a it's, a, it's an actual revival in Waterloo. That's what we're doing, okay? We're going to go and do a revival out there. Andrew, come up with some sweet revival songs, man. I want to hear that. I want to hear Tent Revival next week, man. Okay, now 1 Corinthians 10. Here we go. We might still finish. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. This is for the church today. It was for the church in Corinth. It's for the church going forward. Don't forget about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. You might not think of yourself as an Israelite, but you are a part of God's people now, adopted into his family by Jesus. And so now your story is their story. Okay? Our, our ancestors, these are our ancestors that they're talking about here. This is the church. Okay? All of them were guided by a cloud. That moved ahead of them. This is in the Exodus story. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. They were there when God parted the sea and they walked through on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. They had their own baptism. They went into the sea and came out on the other side. Isn't that awesome? That, that imagery is so cool. That is so powerful. They had their own baptism, just like we have baptism today. We saw it last week, okay? All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. There, were, there was a rock that God told them to strike, and water flowed from it. It was where they drank from, where their animals drank from. What an image of Christ, too. Like this rock that people had probably walked by so many times and just ignored and just didn't even, like, pay attention to. And this is the rock now bringing them life in the wilderness, life in the desert. We're in this spiritual desert in the Western church, and we just keep walking right by and ignoring the rock who wants to bring life and let the rivers flow into our lives again. We just keep ignoring him and not even paying attention to him. All we see is a rock. But it's the power of Christ that we are missing out on, that dwells inside of us, and we don't even live like it or acknowledge it or act like it. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. 
As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. No, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Like there's some people that just kind of rip on Old Testament preaching or like, you know, when people like dig into some of the stories of the Old Testament and they're like, that's not relevant. That doesn't matter to us anymore. It's still relevant. We need these stories. These stories are examples for us. We should read these stories and put ourselves into the shoes of these people and walk through the life that they walked and understand the life they lived. We need to have a spiritual, supernatural mindset because that's what these people had. When you look back at some of the stuff that they occurred and that was happening, it was supernatural. And now today, we, we have a very natural mindset, a very, world, uh, a very worldly view when we look at the church and what we think it should be and what, how we think it should work. And so even, you know, some of these stories, Numbers 25. Look at this one. Let's see what they're talking about here. Numbers 25, verse 1. Digging way back there. Old Testament. Numbers 25, verse 1. While the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. The Lord issued the following command to Moses, seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight. So his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. So Moses ordered Israel's judges, each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in worshiping Baal of Peor. Just then one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into his tent right before the eyes of Moses and all the people. Like not even hiding, just right there, like everybody, like everybody's around, everybody can see Boy, Old Testament times, you know, they were different. And he brings her into the tent right before the eyes of Moses, all the people, as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he jumped up and left the assembly. He took a spear and rushed after the man into his tent. Phinehas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body and into the woman's stomach. So the plague against the Israelites was stopped but not before 24,000 people had died. I know Paul said 23,000. Numbers says 24,000. It was a lot of people, all right? That's what's important here. Our idolatry typically follows our sexual desires. Like our, our sexual desires and our idolatry are intertwined so much. And what we just think is our, our sexual desire or our preference or our identity in this world, it's truly idolatry if we let it come before the word of the Lord. That's what had happened here. They put their sexual preferences before God. 
And because of that, idolatry followed. They're intertwined. And we see that more and more. In fact, later on as you read, uh, Paul uses the term flee from idolatry. We'll get there, but it's the same term that he used in chapter 6 where it said flee from sexual immorality. The same thing, because idolatry and sexuality are intertwined and connected. And you can see it in our world today. We have put sexuality and preference and identity as a god in our world. It's an idol. And we believe that our truth in that area and our desires comes before what the word of the Lord says. Because the word of the Lord, it's outdated. You know, God didn't really understand what the world would be like today. We're more awake and enlightened than what God's word had to say for us. There's a lot of arrogance when we look around at our world today. It's chronological snobbery. C.S. Lewis uses that term. We think that we're smarter and more advanced than these ancient civilizations. And we put ourselves above them and think, man, we have a better way. There's no better way than God's way. Every time we try to make a different way outside of what his word says, it ends in disaster. It ends in pain. It ends in agony. It ends in broken relationships. It ends in heartbreak. It ends in hurt. It ends in loneliness despair, depression, every time we go outside of his word and what it says, you know that those are the moments in your life when you are feeling like that, when you are, when you are by yourself alone and you are broken and you don't know where else to go or to turn, when you're really honest with yourself in that moment, there's so many times you can look at and you can say, yeah, I, I can see where I veered off what he had for me. I could see where I decided to make my own way instead of following his. That's what had happened to the Israelites. They chose their preferences over his presence. All right, back to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The, temptation, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Like, we've all had those moments too, right, where you can kind of feel like, oh, man, this is a bad situation. This is like, this is probably a place I should not be right now. What God, you know, what God is saying to me and convicting me of, I know he wants me to run and flee from this moment, and we kind of just keep staying. And we kind of just keep sitting there because we don't really want to leave. Like there's that fleshly, that carnal part of us where we're like, no, 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 I, I, I kind of want to just, you know, I, I can stay a little bit longer. I can be here just a little bit more. And we want to get as close as we can to that line. And there's all these moments that he'll even give us sometimes where it's like, hey, here's a way out. Here's a way out. Here's a way out. In fact, he's given us the church as a way out. You have friends and community and accountability if you want it, if you'll take it. That's part of the purpose of the church. It's not to condemn. It's not to judge each other. It's to build each other up, to edify, to encourage, to spur one another on, to chase after the things of God, to chase after what his word says for our lives. 
That's what the church does. That's why we gather on Sundays. And sometimes it starts to feel like, what's the point? Man, I just want to sleep in. I want to do this. I want to do that. I, I can still be a Christian without the church. Those are lies from Satan. You cannot do it on your own. You can't run this race on your own. You need someone there that's going to pick you up when you fall. That's going to be there and continue to run the race alongside of you, and you can pick them up when they fall. He gives us ways out. So my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are reasonable people. Sometimes we've got to be reminded of that. You are reasonable people. You're not dumb. You're not idiots. You're not led by the flesh. You have a mind. You can think this through reasonably, logically, what is right and what is wrong. Judge it by God's word. Flee from the worship of idols. Decide for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread showing that we are one body. That's what, when we do this communion time in a moment, we're gonna eat this bread and we're gonna drink this juice and we're reminded when we have this bread that we are a part of one body. We're connected, we're intertwined. And though we are many, we will eat from one loaf of bread showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifices at the altar? What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance? Or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What? Do we dare rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we are stronger than he is? Here's that supernatural mindset, the unseen realm that we have to understand because the early church, they understood it and they believed it. There are demons at work. There are these spirits, these demons, these powers and principalities. Paul breaks it all down when you read through his writing. That's what's at work. Deuteronomy 32. This is the song of Moses. And when you read through this, I, I mean, it, it's, it's just crystal clear. Like there is evil at work. This is what Paul is referencing here. 32 verse 16. They stirred up his jealousy talking about God, they stirred up his jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons, which are not God. Baal, Marduk, uh, all, all these other, you know, uh, Asherah, all these like false gods that we read about in the Old Testament, when you read through them, there are demons behind these idols. There are actual unseen powers at work. 
And so when they sacrificed, they sacrificed to these demons, which are not God, to gods they had not known before, to new gods only recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had never feared. You neglected the rock who had fathered you. You forgot the God who had given you birth. So what Paul is saying here about the food sacrificed to demons, that they would make these idols, these graven images, and they would make them with nostrils and a mouth. That was key because that was how the demons entered into the idols. Okay, this is all ancient Israel and all these ancient cultures. This is all a little bit of history for you guys. So they would make them with a mouth and nostrils because they couldn't live unless they could breathe. These idols, these graven images were homes for the demons. They would enter in through the mouth and the nostrils. And so if an idol was destroyed, their god, their demon, you know, they they thought it was a god. It's really, it's a demon posing as a god. Their god was still alive. Because you read time and time again over some of these idols being destroyed. And so that was like their home. And what Paul is saying is these idols, we know as believers, they are nothing. They're just wood. They're just images. But they are homes to these demons. And demons are real, and we need to understand that. And so the food sacrificed to these demons, Stone hit on this a couple weeks back. The food sacrificed to demons, Paul is saying here, you can eat of it if it's in the market and you're buying it because you don't even know and, and you, know, you weren't present there for that sacrifice. You weren't participating in that ritual to worship that demon. Okay, that, that, that food, it's just food. Like that's all it is. But he goes on here and he helps you know, kind of bring some clarity here. What am I trying to say? Verse 19. Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I'm saying these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. That's what the Israelites tried to do. They, they tried to have it both ways. They wanted to eat the manna that God provided. They wanted to drink from the rock, the spiritual water he was providing, but they also wanted to participate with the demons. We are still living like that today. The church today, we still struggle with that. We want the best of both worlds. We want to participate in the Lord's Supper. We want to eat from his table, and we want to drink from his table, but then we want to go out into the world the rest of the week, and we want to participate at the tables of demons. And we're leaving open doors in our lives for him to build powers and strongholds against us. We have to close those doors. We don't participate at the table of demons. I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What do we dare rouse the Lord's jealousy? You think we are stronger than he is. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to, 
Eat what is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. So, some believers, they would go in there and be like, hey, was this meat sacrificed to demons? If not, I'm out. Paul, Paul's just saying, don't even ask. Like, just don't worry about it. But here's what he says right here. But opposed, but suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Then don't eat it. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. That's what it always comes down to. Every decision we make, it's all about imitating Jesus so that others may come to know him. I told you God's presence he now resides in us. And when we think about these idols, these graven images, like why was idol worship so, like such a big deal to God? Like if you really think about it, like they're looking, in fact, even, you know, uh, Exodus 32, when they built the golden calf, they were just trying to put an image to God. And saying, man, like we just need something that we can see, something tangible that we can worship him. And he's already made us in his image. We don't need idols because he's already made us. We have a mouth, we have a nose, we can breathe. We are living homes to his presence. We don't need idols to worship him. We don't need images made by men because we are images created by God. And so now we imitate him. That is what we do. And so in this world, we'll be tempted to try and sit at both tables, to try and have the best of both worlds. But when we sit at this table and we share in this bread and this juice, this is a moment where we declare loyalty to him and to him alone. And we put every other idol and every other call and every other temptation in this world, we put it to the side and we, we put it to death. We die to this world and we live to Christ. Worship team, you guys want to come up? We can get ready here for this moment of communion. Church, as we take this bread, remember that we're one body and that we share in this moment. Remember that he's given us each other to lift each other up, to build each other up, to edify each other, to encourage each other, to be a way out for each other when temptation comes. And as we drink this juice, remember his blood that was spilled for us. And that that sacrifice, it's given us freedom. And now we can walk with him 
as his image bears. And we don't need the idols that this world has to offer anymore. So if you want to gather together to pray in this moment, or if you, if you want to pray on your own, however you want to take this moment of communion, but remember that we are one body united by his sacrifice. That we're one with him, that we are temples of his holy presence. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this sacrifice. We thank you that we get to share in this meal together at this table. And I pray that we'd be united by your presence as a church as we go forward from this moment. That we would walk in unity in listening to your voice. And that we would trust and obey. In your name we pray. Amen.